First Kings chapter number 19 this morning. First Kings chapter number 19 is where we'll be in our text. Some of you may or may not be aware, but uh, this is Mental Health Awareness Month. And as we're moving through this series, Battles, we've been looking at different areas that we as Christians are called to battle by His Spirit and through His grace towards. So today we're going to talk on this subject of battling discouragement, depression, and mental sickness. As I begin to do some research on depression, uh, many sources confirm some pretty bad news. Mental depression, mental uh, problems, discouragement is now the world's number one uh, causing, basically causing more deaths each year than even cancer. In fact, one out of every nine people right now are currently on antidepressants. In fact, uh, one out of every five people have been on some sort of antidepressant at some point in their lives. In the past five years alone, antidepressant usage has gone up 300% here in America. And in this particular passage, 1 Kings chapter number 18, we're going to meet a man uh, by the name of Elijah who got so depressed. The Bible says he went to a cave and asked God just to kill him. Our theme for this morning is this. Depression is a cave that isolates us from pleasure, purpose, joy, peace, happiness, and contentment. Depression's a cave that, that isolates us from the best that God has for us. Now, I need to give this caveat. Um, I'm not a physician. I'm not a doctor. And I realize that when we talk about mental health issues, there are some very physical elements to it, physiological psychological, and so I'm not going to speak on this necessarily from a medical perspective, and there might be those in this room right now who your doctor is telling you, you need to be on some sort of antidepressant, and, and uh, we realize that for some people, that's exactly what they need. But this morning from the Word of God, we're going to focus on mental health from the spiritual and, and emotional side. What, is, what does God's Word have to say about how we engage these type of issues in the world in which we live. So let me ask you this question before we dive into our text. Like Elijah, are you finding yourself stuck in a cave of discouragement and depression? And if you are, what is it that God's Spirit would want to be teaching you through this season? As I said a moment ago, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter number 19. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 9. But as we're getting started, if you are a guest with us today, we're really, we're so glad you're here. And uh, we're just so privileged that you would come and worship with us. Uh, all that we'd ask is that you just kind of find the QR code in front of you. There's a connection card that'll come up if you use your smartphone there. And we'd love to get some information just about uh, your, some contact information so we can answer any questions, send you some information about upcoming events here at the church, and I think that'll be a, a help and encouragement to us so we can know how to pray for you a little bit better. 
Uh, but for those of you who are members and regular attenders here, I'm going to ask you if you're physically able. We're going to stand as we read our text this morning. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter number 19, verses 1. We'll read down through verses number 9. Uh, if you've been around here for any length of time, we're just a Bible teaching church. And so all we're going to do today is we're just going to march through uh, this passage of the Bible. And uh, Lord willing, he'll give us some things that will be a help and encouragement to us. So let me do this. Before we get into this, let me give you a little bit of background here. Uh, this character, Elijah, is considered both in ancient times and present day really to be one of the greatest prophets and really one of the most powerful miracle workers in history. Um, so as we study the prophet Elijah, you're going to find that at one point in 1 Kings chapter number 17, uh, God's spirit worked through him and he literally caused rain to cease for more than three years. When we get to chapters number 17, verses 22, he brings a widow's son back to life. You, you get to 2 Kings chapter number 2, verse 8, and he, he parts the Jordan River. We come to 1 Kings chapter number 18, in fact, the chapter before, the one we're about to study this morning, and he literally calls down fire from heaven with a prayer. This, this guy, Elijah, is literally one of the most powerful, spirit-filled men you're going to find in the Old Testament scripture. It, clearly, Elijah is someone who knew God well, who served God with dedication and, and authority and heavenly power. And yet, even this man, this man who loved God, who served God, struggled with deep, intense depression depression so thick there were moments he literally just wanted to die <laughs> I know for some of us we can think man with a guy, a guy like Elijah with so many connections to God with such a powerful prayer life who was seeing God do incredible miracles it might be easy to think you know he, he didn't struggle and yet the reality is he did and as I studied this passage this week, it, it really, as I learned this about him, it, it, it was something that caused me to want to know a little bit more about this guy, Elijah. Someone who faced the same kind of depression and discouragement that you and I battle, and yet someone who overcame and, and won that battle. Elijah experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. In fact, as we saw after one of his greatest spiritual victories, Elijah wanted to take his life, and so he ran away. He found a cave. He isolated himself. And he was hoping that would be the end. And so that brings us to 1 Kings chapter number 19, and we're just going to read it here. Here's what the Bible says in verse number 1. Now Ahab, now Ahab was the king overseeing this region of the world, told Jezebel, who was his wife, wicked woman, told him everything Elijah had done. So basically, Elijah has just gotten done bringing fire from heaven, these false prophets, Baal. He has this contact, uh, contest with them, and basically now these prophets of this false god, Baal, are now dead. And Ahab the king tells his wife all that had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, 
May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of them. Basically, Jezebel stands up and says, you think you won? You think just because you could call fire from heaven that this isn't going to come back on you? He says, by this time tomorrow, you're dead. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid. The day before... The day before, he had literally gone up against these uh, prophets of Baal, called fire from heaven, and now here's this lady, and he's shaking in his boots. Elijah was afraid, notice this, and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went another day's journey into the desert came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked with hot coals and a jar of water, and he ate and drank, and then lay down again. The Bible says in verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Now notice this, strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 more days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There, he went into a cave and spent the night. This morning, by God's grace, I want to speak on this subject of of battling depression, battling discouragement. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll dive into our Bible study here this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather around your word. Lord, I pray that, Lord, where I am weak, you would be made strong. Lord, I'm praying that your word would do what it promises to do, and that is to not return void. So may your word go forth in power. May it be mixed with your spirit to make a tremendous impact in the hearts and lives of the people here today. Lord, we love you for all that you've done and for all that you'll continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let Let me give you a definition here for depression. We'll put it on the screens. Depression is a feeling of hopelessness that is not consistent with reality. It is an emotional state of extreme sadness and intense emotional discouragement that causes negative circumstances to overwhelm and debilitate a person's life. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to see by tracing the prophet's journey and we're going to look a little bit about what it reveals in how we can move forward and out of our own caves of depression. So in order to do this, I want you to go back to the previous chapter. Let's get a little bit more context. First Kings chapter number 18. Uh, notice what it says in the middle of verse number 44 and verse number 46. So the Bible says in the middle of verse 44, so Elijah says to his servant, all right? So now he's speaking to a servant. He says, hey, servant, I want you to go tell Ahab. Remember, that's the king. So tell him, hitch up your chariot 
and go down before the rain stops you. Remember, it hasn't been raining for three years. Now, Elijah, who stopped the rain, is now going to call the rain to come. And notice what it says. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah. Notice this. What happened when the power of the Lord came upon him? He tucked his cloak into his belt, and he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. We're going to see this play out a couple of times where literally this, this passage says that Elijah, because the power of God was upon him, he literally outran a chariot. So this, this guy's trucking, man. He's moving. In fact, we're going to see here in verse number three that he gets so scared that now again he's running for his life. So we see him running in chapter number eight. We see him running again in chapter number 19. And, and as, as you study this out, you're going to find that in all, from where he was at Carmel to where he ends up in Horeb, it's about 263 miles that he runs over the course of these few weeks. That's quite a while. That's quite a ways to be running. And you can just imagine, I don't know about you, I run about one mile and I'm just like, I'm done. <laughs> I know some of you guys can run a little bit more, but here he is. Over the course of these weeks, he runs 263 miles, and he's running, and he's running. That's what the Bible says in chapter 18. It's what it says in chapter number 19. And James chapter number 5, verse 17, reminds us that Elijah was a person just like we are. He was running, and I'll ask you this. Do you ever find yourself just running? You're running. You're running to keep things moving. You're running to keep everybody happy. You're running to keep it all together. You're running to keep your family together. You're running to keep your marriage together. You're running to keep your finances together, your health together, your career together. You're running here. You're running there. And in the process, you find yourself just running yourself ragged. You ever been there before? Just, just tired. And that brings us to our first thought today, and that's simply this. Depression often happens when we're physically exhausted. Elijah had this great victory, this great spiritual victory, and by the next day, he's, he's scared for his life. He'd been running. Physically, he's worn out. Physically, he's tired. And depression often happens when we're physically exhausted, and the same is for us as well. When we find ourselves in seasons where we're not sleeping, when we're not taking adequate care of our physical bodies, or maybe it's a season where we've had lots to do at work and lots with our family and a lot of stress and a lot of difficulties and we're just physically tired, we're physically worn out, watch out because depression happens often when we're physically exhausted. Recently I was reading a book by a pastor by the name of Wayne Coderos pastors a large church, has an incredible ministry, just been used of God in some tremendous ways, preaches all over the country, and, and uh, in a lot of ways has made some huge impact both locally in his local congregation but internationally around the world. In his book, Leading on Empty, he recounts the story how one morning he got up to do his run and he was jogging as he would often do and he's just running, he's running, he's running and as he was making his run, that running became a metaphor for his life and he began to think about how it just seemed like every, he was just running here and running there and trying to run to keep everything together and running to keep things. To, and he said he found himself in the grass on the side of the road just bawling in tears. He was completely spent, completely done. He had nothing else to give. 
He went on eventually to say just how easy it is to get to a place in our lives where we have been running so hard, pushing ourselves to the physical limits so intensely that we come to a place where our physical bodies just say, I'm done. Can't. So what does God do for Elijah when he was physically exhausted? You're going to see in chapters number 19, verses 5 and 6, there are four specific things that you're going to see God does to minister to Elijah in this place. Notice what it says in chapter number 20, uh, verse number 5. It says, this messenger came, I'm sorry, in chapters number 19, verse 5, I was at verse 20, 20 here. The Bible says, then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel, notice this, touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around there and by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down to sleep again. Notice the first thing this angel of the Lord does. Notice in chapter number 19, verse 5, the Bible says, the angel touched him. angel touched him. In a, this is a physical touch. When people who are struggling with depression, people who are struggling with discouragement, the reality is studies have shown that literally physical touch can release chemicals in our brains and in our bloodstream that begins to align our physiology. It's interesting in our culture, this, this kind of an American culture thing. I, I, I've traveled around the world, and it's really interesting. I was in one country one time, and, and uh, I, it, was, it was interesting because I'd see the men, they would hold hands as they walk, and it wasn't sexual, it wasn't, you know, anything. It was just their culture. That's just what you do. You just, there was just this, there was this more of this human interaction. And, and, and in the States, especially among men, there is very little room for physical touch. It's just not culturally acceptable. Most men only experience physical touch within the context of the sexual. And yet studies will show how important touch is to human flourishing. The Bible says the angel of the Lord touched him. I don't know if the angel put his arm around Elijah. I don't know if the angel hugged him. But two times you're going to see in this passage that the angel of the Lord touches them. We've all been in points where somebody just came around, they put their arm around us and said, it's going to be okay. They came, gave us a hug and said, hey, everything's going to be all right. We live in a culture right now where that just isn't necessarily always acceptable, but we see this played out throughout Scripture. Studies show that children who get touched more in appropriate ways and loving ways and compassionate ways grow up to be more healthy, more stable and healthy. You see the touch. Then you see food. How many of you ever been hangry before? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> hangry, we've all been there. You know, sometimes when you're feeling that discouragement and you're feeling that depression, you know what sometimes you need? You need some food. <laughs> you need to eat. <laughs> and that's what God does for Elijah here. 
He gives them a meal. The Bible says he gives them water. Oftentimes when people are struggling with depression and discouragement, you know, it's interesting that the drinks they turn to either tend to be alcoholic in nature or they tend to be highly caffeinated. And the issue is both of those things are detrimental to your mental health long term. Especially in moments where you're struggling with mental health. And so here we see God gives water. Now, I'm not, I'm not preaching against coffee and Starbucks, okay? Don't, that's not the point. The point here is just to simply say, in these seasons, we need to be, there's hydration that needs to take place. There's, there's, there's nourishment that needs to take place. And then in the end of the verse, he sleeps again. You're going to just see him. He keeps going back and taking a nap. The Bible says that God gives his beloved sleep. It is a holy, good thing to sleep. I know we live in this, you know, Western American culture, and it's all about drive and achievement and getting things done. And yeah, Can I just say, there is place for just holy rest. Don't ever feel bad for just sleeping. Touches them. He gives them food. He gives them water. He gives them sleep. The World Health Organization said this regarding depression and mental illness. It says it's not enough to talk just about chemical imbalances. We also need to talk about the imbalances in the way we live. Nourishment how we take care of our physical bodies. Why? Because depression happens when we're physically exhausted. But let's keep moving. What does the Bible say next? Notice chapter, verse number nine and chapter number 19. Let's kind of move through the passage here. The Bible says in verse number eight and nine, he says, so he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Notice verse nine, there he went into a cave, spent the night, which brings us to our second thought this morning, and that is simply this. Depression happens when we're relationally isolated, when we're relationally isolated. Elijah's going to go to this cave. He's ran 200 plus miles. He runs this cave, and there's this isolation that gets there. There's this isolation that comes Verse number 10, the Bible says in chapters number 9 and 10, it says the word of the Lord came. And, and, and God says to Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? It's a good question. We'll tackle that in just a moment. Elijah responds to God and says, I've been very zealous. This is verse 10 for the Lord God Almighty. He says, I've been working for God. I've been doing God's work. I've been doing God's mission. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. Notice what he says. I am the only one left. <laughs> and now they're all trying to kill me too. Now one thing I want you to notice that I, I give Elijah some props for is he's at least being honest about what he's experiencing. Can I, can I say this? Until you're willing to get honest about where you're at, it's going to be really tough to find healing. <laughs> You just got to be honest. You got to come to a place where you say, boom, this is, this is just where I'm at. And, and that's what Elijah does here. But notice it's not just that he's physically isolated in the cave. Notice what he says here in the end of verse 10. He says, I am the only one left who loves God, serving God. 
I'm all that's left. He's not only physically isolated, he is literally psychologically isolated as well. He's literally come to a point where he's like, nobody knows what I'm going through. I'm the only one who's experiencing what I'm experiencing. I'm the only one going through what I'm going through. Nobody knows. Nobody understands. I'm it. Have you ever been there before? You're going through something, it's discouraging, and all of a sudden you get this thought process that I'm, I'm the only one who's ever been through this, and, and nobody in my world could possibly understand what I'm going through. And, and so not only do we isolate ourselves physically, we isolate ourselves psychologically, we begin to convince ourselves that we're the only ones who, could, who understand what it feels like to be where we're at. And I want to say this, that just is not true. Depression happens when we begin to get relationally isolated. The Bible says in Genesis, it's a very interesting statement right at the beginning of the Bible. Uh, God's going through all the things that he had created and he said, he, it's good. And he, he went to the next thing and created and said, it's good. He went to the next thing and said it was good. And then he finally, for the first time, he says this in Genesis. He says, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good. Can I say this? It's not good to be in isolation. You need an authentic community around you. You need friendships that will encourage you and support you. Why? Because isolation is not healthy. It's not good for us to be alone. So let's review for a moment. One, depression happens when we're physically exhausted, so we need to focus on our physical well-being. It's okay to focus on yourself physically, to exercise, to nourish yourself, to get rest, to take care of yourself. Number two, depression happens when we're relationally isolated. So avoid isolation. Lean into authentic friendships and transparent community in your life. But let's keep reading. We're just moving through the chapter. Notice verse number 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Verse, uh, the end of verse 11. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and, and stood at the mouth of the cave. He, he heard the wind. He felt the earthquake, and then all of a sudden he hears this whisper. And the voice said unto him, What are you doing here, Elijah? It's the second time God asked the question. In verse 14, Elijah replies, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Anybody else seeing some deja vu here? Okay, we've this, literally, Elijah's already said this to God. <laughs> and now he's saying it again. <laughs> a second time. <laughs> How many of you have ever been here before where you just start playing the negative in your mind over and over and over again? You ever been there? 
It's like you got this story you're telling yourself about what you're experiencing. You got this, it's like a broken record in your head and it's playing that story. It's playing that situation again and again and again and again in your mind. And it's like a, it's like a broken record and Elijah is playing out this story in his head over and over. And the reality is we're gonna see in a moment the stories that he's telling himself isn't even true. He's saying, I'm the only one left to serving God. We're going to find out in a moment that's just not reality. It was a story he was telling himself that wasn't true. And I want to say this, so much of what drives us to a place of discouragement and drives us to a place of depression is when we play stories and narratives over and over and over and over in our minds. And most of the times those stories aren't even real. But that's what Elijah's doing. He's playing this over again in his head. He's like, I'm the only one left. That wasn't true. He's focusing on the fear. He's afraid for his life. He's focused on all the things that could go wrong. Remember the day before, God literally saved him from all of the prophets of Baal. And now today, he's doubting that God can save him from this one lady. He has these not negative thoughts about the future. He's rehearsing it over and over in his mind, which brings us to our next thought this morning, and that is this. Number three, depression happens when we're mentally overthinking. It happens when we're physically exhausted. It happens when we're relationally isolated. Number three, it happens when we're mentally overthinking. We let these things play over and over and over and over in our heads until the thought becomes an emotion. The emotion becomes discouragement. Discouragement comes depression because we can't shut our minds up. You see, when his mind was yelling and screaming at him, God comes to him, get this with a whisper. His mind's going crazy and God comes and whispers. A gentle whisper. Psalms chapter number 46 verse 10 says it this way. It says, be still and know that he is God. Quiet your mind. <laughs> One psychologist said it this way. When you're battling with discouragement and depression, here's a practical little life hack. Move your body, still your mind. <laughs> Take care of the physical by moving your body, but then mentally quiet and still your mind. See, you're so busy talking about what happened to you, and that's what Elijah's doing. He's talking about what happened to him. He's talking what happens to him. You can't hear the gentle whisper of what God's doing for you. And we've all been there. I've been there. See, depression happens when we're physically exhausted. So we've got to focus on our physical well-being. It's not wrong. Depression happens when we're relationally isolated. So we've got to avoid isolation by leaning into authentic friendships and, and transparent community. Three, depression happens when we're mentally overthinking. So we need to stop worrying, stop being anxious by focusing on God's word, by focusing on the promises of God. Elijah, God speaks to Elijah and God's trying to encourage him to focus on that gentle whisper rather than the broken record that's playing over in his mind, these lies that he was convincing himself of. 
Let's keep reading through our text. Notice verse number 15. Then the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Hey, you've been running. You've been running, 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 and it's ex- it, you're exhausted. Running from this, running from that. He says, God says, go back. Go back. Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nishmiah, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of uh, Japhat, from Abel Meholah to succeed you as a prophet. You know what God does? God comes to Elijah and says, you've been running from all of your issues. You've been running from all your problems so you could hide out in a cave and do nothing and one of the worst things you can do when you're going through depression is sit with your thoughts and do nothing (laughs) it's one of the worst things you could do and yet that's exactly what Elijah is doing here which leads us to our final thought this morning and that is this for depression happens when we're functionally paralyzed we're just in the state where we're doing nothing We're so scared, we're so isolated, we just functionally, we're just stuck in neutral. And most people in depression who are struggling with deep bouts of discouragement, they're just paralyzed. I I have had seasons in my life, literally, I just, I didn't even want to get out of bed. You ever been there before? Like you just, like, like you woke up and you're like, I go to work, take care of my family. I literally don't even want to go to the, sh- like, brush my teeth. <laughs> and if you've never been there, praise God for that. But for those of us who have, we need God's grace. You know what, you know what God does here in verses 15 and verse 16? God is reminding Elijah of his purpose. He says to Elijah, he says, you know what? I have given you a purpose. There's a reason I put you on this earth. And he says, you've been running from that. And now it's time to get back to what I've called you to do. And I want to say to you today, one of the ways we combat depression and discouragement in our lives is by staying busy doing the things we're called to do in this life. By just coming to a place that says, hey, if this is what God wants me to do, rather than feel my way into that action, I'm going to say, God, this is what you're calling me to. By faith, I'm going to step into that action, and by God's grace, maybe the feelings will follow. (laughs) Because you're a whole lot more likely to act your way into a feeling than to feel your way into an action. Oftentimes, when we're struggling with depression, discouragement, despair, anxiety, we're focused on ourselves. Believe me, I've been there. And God calls Elijah to focus not on himself, but he calls him to focus on these others. He says, hey, let me remind you of what you were called to do. Go anoint these men king. He says, I'm going to take you out of the cave, and I'm going I'm to put you before kings. You're not meant to stay in this cave of isolation. You're not meant to stay in this cave of discouragement. You're not meant to stay in this cave of self-loathing. I have created you to do something more. 
And so in those moments where we are struggling, we're paralyzed by fear, I want to encourage you by God's grace and God's spirit to take purposeful action. Just take action. Do the next thing that God's calling you to do. Don't, but don't get to a place where you're just doing nothing. Uh, last week, Pastor Nick, a couple of occasions, shared about uh, Charles Spurgeon, gave a couple of quotes about him. And uh, uh, Spurgeon was once referred to as the prince of preachers. He, he really pastored one of the first, like what some would refer to as mega church in the last couple of hundred years. Huge metropolitan tabernacle in London, England in the late 1800s. He preached to approximately 10 million people in his lifetime, which is crazy considering there was no technology. That was just in person. Often he would preach 10 times a week. He just gave himself. But what a lot of people don't realize is, is Charles Spurgeon for his entire life as a pastor, one who was like incredibly powerfully used of God, struggled with intense depression and intense discouragement. He actually wrote a little book called Encouragement for the Depressed. And, and in his book, he says this. I have suffered many times from severe, frightful, mental depression. Almost to the point of despair. Almost every year, he said, I've been laid aside for a season for flesh and blood could not bear the strain. Basically, um, Spurgeon couldn't, I mean, he, like he pastored a church and there were, there were just three or four months out of every year he just couldn't even do it. He says, why, my flesh and blood couldn't even handle it. But then he says, well, at least such flesh and blood is mine. He, 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 at first he said, you know, it was just so intense, flesh and blood, I just, nobody could handle it. And then he was like, well, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm just weak. <laughs> However, the affliction was necessary for me and has fulfilled a purposeful end. He's so racked by his depression that he'd go months where he couldn't even speak. He oftentimes would literally travel to another country just to get his mind to a place where he could come back and serve and help. And so as we're here, I, I want to remind you of just a couple of takeaways as we wrap this up. Number one, based on these four things we, we see about how depression comes, focus on your physical well-being. Stop overthinking by focusing on the promises of God. Avoid isolation and lean into authentic friendships and community. And then lastly, take purposeful action. What do we do when we're wrestling with discouragement? What do we do when we're wrestling with depression? And I, I, wanna, I wanted to take away with this. I want, I want you to kind of write this and we'll be on our way. But you may, you may be in a cave of depression today or a cave of discouragement. But I want to remind you, God will meet you there. God will meet you there. I want to just take a brief moment as I'm wrapping this up. It, just kind of as a way of announcement, maybe, I guess that we could say as we're kind of wrapping up this message. But over the past, uh, obviously, how many of you, how many of you, uh, 2020 was a, a little bit different for you? Anybody like that? Maybe, you know, a little, a little different. 
I think all of us uh, face some really unique challenges because of 2020. And, uh, you know, that was no different for... Uh, not just for you guys, but for us as pastors, and, and just so many challenges that came along and so many fronts that we were just totally not anticipating. Uh, some folks have estimated that in church world, nearly 25% of pastors resigned over the last 18 months. Just wrestling through how to navigate this cultural shift. And one of the things that our church has always been very, very, very good with is, is they've been very good to the pastors here to, to make sure that there is a rhythm that is sustainable. So I'm now going on, this will be 14 years that I've had the privilege now of serving as your pastor. And I'm so thankful for our leadership. I, I think about our deacons. I think about our leadership team who serves as ministry coordinators, who serve as ministry directors and and you guys have been such an, such an encouragement to me in so many ways. Well, one of the things that they've done is every five to seven years, they've, they've set it up to where uh, we're able to go on extended sabbatical. And a sabbatical is not really a vacation. A vacation is like spend time with family, go to Disneyland, have a good time. And you come back more exhausted than you left because you're just running ragged the whole time, you know? Any of you had those type of vacations before? A sabbatical is something where really it's about coming apart before you come apart, fall apart. <laughs> So back in 2014, uh, you guys were so gracious, I actually took off for most of the summer after the building program and things, and we had gone through all the work, and that summer, I was able to take off, head back to the farm with my in-laws, and spent uh, six weeks just reading, <laughs> renewing, praying in the Word. It was, it was such a help. It was such a blessing. Because of some of the seasons that the Minervas have found themselves in, we had kind of decided that last year, 2020, uh, Pastor Nick was going to take a sabbatical last summer. Well, as you well know, <laughs> we got to 2020 and uh, just through prayer and stuff, he just didn't really feel like that was a season for him to, to be gone. And so he kind of kicked the can down the road a little bit. And, and about last fall, through my counselors, and, and though you guys know I, I see a counselor regularly, but I also have counselors from other pastors and, and godly people in my life who speak into my life. About last fall, as I was just sharing so much of what I was wrestling with, just in my own heart with discouragement, after 2020, just, just, the, just feeling like totally burnt out on so many levels. I had many folks just saying, you've really got to, you got to look at another sabbatical. When was your last one? I said it was about seven years ago. So we began to pray about it. I was talking with Nick. Uh, Nick was like, you need to. We talked with the men. They're like, they, you, you need to. And I just was really praying about when the timing was. And while it is not optimal, we've kind of come to the agreement that uh, this will probably be a season where both Pastor Nick and myself will need to be taking a sabbatical kind of at the same time. And so this is going to leave the church in kind of an interesting place where, you know, for a while you guys are going to be, you know, uh, you got Hunter, <laughs> and you got Alan, and uh, we're going to be praying for you guys during the season. So basically how it's going to work is here in June I'm going to be taking off and, uh, you know, I'm going to be spending six, seven weeks really just in a lot of prayer, a lot of reading working with counselors, just trying to get back a little bit of what, you know, 2020 just sucked out of me. Uh, in July, um, Pastor Nick's going to be taking off, and he's going to be going through, he's doing a pastoral course uh, that he's going to be doing with a, uh, that'll just really help him grow in his own pastoral ministry. Uh, he'll be doing some writing as well during that sabbatical time. 
Uh, he'll be down, heading down to Southern California for the month of July. And uh, then, by God's grace, uh, in August, we're all going to come back together. We're just hopefully, and I want you to pray with me, that the Lord will just bring us back refreshed, that he'll bring us back aligned, he'll bring us back, you know, with where we need to be so we can just move forward, kind of put everything with COVID and 2020 and all that, all that just came with it. And there were so many challenges. And just to be able to move forward by God's grace. And so I wanted to share that with you guys because I didn't want you to look around and be like, where'd the pastors go? <laughs> What's going on here? Nothing's going on. We're just, we're just tired. I don't know how else to say it. Absolutely exhausted. And thankfully, we're in a church context. The reason a lot of pastors resign during the season is because they don't have a church congregation like we have. So the only option they have is to quit. And thankfully, we have a plurality of elders and leaders where, you know, we can share the preaching you know, responsibilities, we can share the leadership responsibilities. We have so many great leaders and so many great deacons that really allow, this, this place isn't built on my personality, it's not built on Nick's personality, this really is built, we are, we are being the church. And that's, that's what has allowed this to move forward. And so if you have any questions about that, I, I want you to know, man, we'll, I'll be in the lobby, Nick will be in the lobby. Uh, we'll be around for a few more weeks. He'll be around for a couple more weeks even than I. And, and if you need anything, let him know. But come July, uh, feel free to re reach out to Red Keller Halls if there's anything you need. Feel free to reach out to Hunter if there's anything you need. Uh, these men are here to be able to be a help. Jeremy is going to be here uh, as well if there's anything you guys need during that time. And then just pray. Pray the Lord will kind of give us the rest that we need. Get us back to where we need to be so we can kind of just storm into you know, the fall, just preparing to go for the glory of God. Amen? All right? So I covet your prayers. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Just what an incredible church family you are. And I appreciate the season that you allowed me to do this back in 2014. It was exactly what we needed just to kind of get back and going. Um, but, uh, you know, we're praying to pray for Pastor Nick and his family. You, most of you know just what their family has been through over the last several months. And uh, I appreciate just what God's doing through you in our lives. Let's have a word of prayer. And then we're going to just get to a little bit of worship as we wrap this service up. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for those that are in this moment finding themselves going through a season of discouragement, finding themselves going through a season of depression. Lord, you know in my own heart how I struggle with these things immensely. But Lord, you've been faithful and you've been gracious and you've allowed us to persevere year after year. And so Lord, I pray that, that your grace would be sufficient even in these moments. I pray for the one here who today is just debilitated by their discouragement, by their depression. God, I pray that the Spirit of God would come upon them and with the power of wisdom, Lord, that they would take what your word had to say and they could walk, Lord, in freshness and newness of life. Lord, I pray for Pastor Nick, I pray for myself, Lord, that we'll take time just to renew physically and to spiritually and emotionally, Lord, so we can be the, the leaders that you'd have us to be, Lord, and not be people who are just leading on empty. I pray that you'd be with Hunter and Alan, I pray that you'd be with Red and Jeremy as they uh, take point on leading through this season, and that our church would be stronger because of this rather than weaker. Lord, I pray that you'd allow our hearts to be lifted in worship in this season. We pray in Jesus' name.